Hello and welcome to the Arsenal beat. Reese Nelson was the unlikely hero as Mikel Arteta's side came from two goals down to win a Premier League game for the first time in over a decade. The victory over Bournemouth leaves Arsenal five points clear at the top of the table as attention now shifts to the Europa League. I'm Mark Manbryans from PA Media and today I'm joined by Arsenal beat co-founder Sam Dean of The Telegraph, returning hero in the shape of Guardian's Nick Ames, and Mr. Hot Chocolate himself, Kaya Kainak of Football London. Guys, Bournemouth. Bournemouth, Bournemouth, Bournemouth. Kaya, easy question to begin with. What happened on Saturday? Um, well, I've just about recovered the ability of speech to be able to tell you. Uh, it was yeah, a crazy game that from literally 10 seconds in you knew it was not going to be anything ordinary that you'd ever seen before I've never seen a goal that quickly I don't know if any of you have, well unless they were at the Southampton game where Shane Long scored no one scored no one's seen a goal that quickly so that frenetic start and then from that point onwards it was just one of those games where it was attack versus defence and Bournemouth were holding out and then they managed to get a second with their first corner and only corner of the game whereas I think Arsenal had 17 across the course, course of the match and as it was progressing, it felt like it was going to be one of those days just where I think we've seen this in the past with Arsenal, I guess, title challenges or pushes for top four, even where they've been sort of in a good position, come up against a fixture which on paper they should win and faltered. And it felt like one of those. It felt like we'd seen this kind of film before and Partey got one back. Then Ben White managed to equalise. And as the corner comes in at the end, you're sort of thinking... I know Arsenal have, have got a few last-minute winners this season, but this is last second kind of winner. And how often does that happen? And let alone that, how often does it happen that a goal is scored in the first 10 seconds and then the last 10 seconds of a match? It, it just never happens. And I think as the ball came out to Reese Nelson, particularly on his left foot, don't think any of us were really expecting him to score. And then just the, the volley just, um, yeah, well, sort of. Sails into the top corner perfectly. Cue bedlam, cue pandemonium, cue all those kind of words you can think of, all the adjectives. And yeah, it was it was a crazy day. And it, it does feel like, you know, they say sort of you, you don't know what you've got to this gone, all that kind of stuff. But sometimes you can really tell when you're, you're living through what feels like a moment in history. And I think, you know, come May, this will, this will be looked back on as a, a day when, you know, if Arsenal do go on to win, this will be looked back on the day where, maybe this is where it was sort of the, the fate was sealed because if you can come back from that and if you can still win even in those trying circumstances you do have to wonder you know what it's going to take to to top to stop a team that's in this run of form Sam it's it's three late winners lately if you think about it isn't it Manchester United Aston Villa and again on Saturday what does that say and it's such a cliche question so I thought I'd come to you with it what does it say about the character that this team's got? Because in the past, we've spoken so many times about them not having that, about them struggling when they fall behind and just almost accepting defeat, getting flogged like Manchester United on Sunday, for example. But this team is, is made of sterner stuff, isn't it? Yeah. Um, obviously, it says a lot about the character and the belief. And I think also the faith of the players and to a large extent, the faith of the home crowd now in the style of play that Mikel Arteta was imposed and the philosophy that they're now pursuing. Um, I did a piece uh, for the Telegraph website yesterday, which is also in the paper, looking at those three late winners, because Arsenal have now had more stoppage winners, stoppage time winners this season than any Premier League team. 
Um, so there's, it's a pattern developing. And I think there's a few things, and obviously, as you say, that the the character is one thing, but I think a common thread running between each of those games is Arsenal's complete dominance in the second half and the sheer amount of attacks they're creating and the number of passes they're playing. And I looked at the figures. So in the second half of those three matches against United, Villa and Bournemouth, when they scored late winners, they averaged 70% of the ball and played an average of 134 passes in the final third um, while conceding just 30 passes in their own final third. Like it completely completely one-sided games and and over the course of the second half of matches when minds get tired and, and legs begin to run out of energy um, I think that eventually weighs on teams and wears them down and that made a huge difference again I think I mean Bournemouth had defended so well um, as a collective and in such numbers but gradually 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 those gaps started to appear and eventually as was the case against Villa and as was the case against Man United Arsenal found a way through what, what that, and that's a very sort of clinical analysis of it but one thing I just want to say quickly about the Nelson goal which I think Kaya described beautifully I would say is and this is actually uh, this thought and this sort of articulation came from a friend of mine who's sitting at the Emirates and he sent me a kind of delirious voice note afterwards uh, understandably and he made how, the point that, like, how is uh, how is Charles Watts? <laughs> yeah, who, I, I I was sitting in the wrong end of the press box for Charles Watts. I would have loved to have seen his his reaction at the moment uh, that Nelson scored. But um, this is going to sound incredibly wishy washy, but I think anyone who's there will kind of know what I'm getting at here. Um, like time, time is not a linear thing in the way that we all are told told it is growing up and living in this society. Like. That moment that the ball fell to Nelson and left his foot and then entered the net, in a linear sense, was like for like one second, half a second. But it honestly felt like so long, like the whole world just stopped for a minute. And like that ball was traveling and traveling and traveling and like a a collective inhale of breath from 60,000 people. And like that, that one moment, I mean, I've been covering Arsenal for four or five years now and there have been some good and very enjoyable atmospheres. Uh, I think Wolves at home last year was 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 pretty special, and a couple of the the victories over Spurs in recent derbies, including under Emery back in 2018, have been very sort of loud. But I have never heard anything like that outpouring of of relief, joy, emotion, disbelief uh, when Nelson's shot sort of travelled through those bodies in slow motion and, and hit the net. And, that would felt to me like a really powerful thing. And, and just lastly, because I'm very aware that I'm rambling now, but and, and this is a point that Arsenal fans might not like to hear, but maybe in time they'll appreciate it. I think even if Arsenal don't win this Premier League title, and I think a lot of us would still expect City to win it eventually, that moment is going to stay in the minds of a lot of people. And that's going to be a very special afternoon for a lot of people. And the journey, as Mikel Arteta once said in an Amazon documentary, the journey is more important than the destination. Or was it the company's more important than the destination? I can't remember what he said, but you know, the journey is powerful and important. And this season, I think, will leave a lot of memories with Arsenal fans, and that might well be the best of them, even if they don't win it. And who would have thought that heading into a three o'clock kickoff at home to Bournemouth, other than me? Uh, Sam, you can testify to that. Um, I did. <laughs> I did call that it would be something of a weird afternoon. I didn't quite mm. predict that. Um, Time Lord Reese Nelson popping up with the winner there. Um, <laughs> Nick, 
not to put a downer on it, but they can't keep leaving themselves having to score last minute winners, can they? Because it doesn't, the fairy tale doesn't happen every week, does it? I can't believe you're getting me in for a sober negative take after several months away. Um, firstly, I gotta say, Sam Dean musing on the nature of time from also the man who asked Mikel Arteta straight after the game whether he believed in fate. We know who the pod's philosopher is now, don't we? Um, but I'm on a mad <laughs> one, Mick. I'm on a mad one. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but luckily, I've, I've, I have with me in my hand a glass of cold water and I'm gonna pour it all over the shop now. Um, because, yeah, they. Uh, you asked for it. They, 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 they can't continue living on the edge. I think like that when we've got when when they've got games coming up against the likes of um, Newcastle away, City away. We know about Liverpool away coming up in almost exactly a month. I think even Fulham this weekend away is. I think we've seen this season going to be a very difficult game. So, so yeah, there's definitely that element of brinkmanship that we're seeing every week. Can you, can you keep getting through games when you're really having to live on, on your nerves and put everything out of of your resources like that? But on the other hand, they, they, you know, I, I, I can't do this negative take too much because they always seem to find a way. Like when, when Gabby Jesus got injured, a lot of people, myself included, thought he has been such a catalyst for all of this. It's probably not going to happen now. Eddie Nketiah comes in, and certainly for most of the time, you barely knew Jesus was there. Nketiah drops off in form a bit, also has a bit of an ankle knock. They rejig the attack a bit with Trossard, and it works. And in a way, it re-energizes one or two players, such as Martinelli, as we've seen in, in the last couple of weeks. Trossard goes off after 22 minutes the other day. Smithrow, bit undercooked, not quite fit to make an impact, although he, he did make an, an assist with that header for, for the first goal. Um, Smithrow, a bit rusty. And then Reese Nelson, who I think was the last person anyone, including Mikel Arteta, thought was going to provide a, an epoch or moment, does it? So 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 you have got a team and squad that, in this, in this almost nebulous way, are finding a way to win. So that can mean a lot. And it can often carry you all the way through to the end. And I'm rambling now, um, but I do think, yeah, there's some very hard, very hard, hard games coming up. Anfield suddenly looks a more stern proposition than it did. <laughs> Newcastle speaks for itself, and obviously Arsenal were outplayed there last year. City's going to be absolutely titanic, and they can't take it to the last minute in all of those games. So yeah, definitely something to think about. And also the defence is shipping a few sloppy goals at the moment they haven't quite eradicated that um e- even since the um, the blip in form that we saw last month a couple of goals conceded against villa a couple of sloppy goals i mean they were both sloppy the other day and better opponents are going to capitalize just a, a quick stat to illustrate nick's point about arsenal finding a way um, ben white's goal obviously his first for the club made him Arsenal's 14th different scorer in the Premier League this season, which is more than any other team. So like the, the threat really does sort of exist all over the team. And when they need a goal, they're not just relying on one striker to pop up and deliver it. It's It could be anyone. With that Ben White goal as well, it is now, I mean, if you want to include Jorginho sort of 
uh, every outfield player has now scored for Arsenal this season. If you just about include Jorginho's goal um, instead of Emi Martinez and all that kind of stuff. So pretty impressive the way Arsenal are sharing the goals around. And Nick spoke before about how it seemed like Jesus was, was the guy carrying them. And first half of the season, and there was a lot of concern, obviously, about um, how he would impact the team. But the way they've, the way they've managed to to um, to carry things on in his absence is is fantastic. But like you say, can't keep getting away with um, you know. I've seen a lot of the a lot of opposition fans tweeting that uh, Breaking Bad meme. You know, you can't keep getting away with this going around, and um, it's hard to disagree with that. And when you look even at sort of the the levels of you know to use a, a Sam Deanism, the levels of fate that had to go into just Reese Nelson being in the squad. I mean, if Eddie and Ketia hadn't you know picked up his injury in the final moments, I know he was injured going into it, but if he hadn't sort of got even worse injured going into the final moments of the Everton game, then Reese Nelson probably wouldn't have been in the squad even. Arteta said that himself pretty much after the game. So a lot of things went really right for Arsenal and you do hope they're not using up all their good luck now because they might need some come May, but um, not really worth worrying about that right this moment. Might as well just enjoy uh, enjoy the, the madness as long as it lasts. Is that how is that how fate works? Does the fate well run dry? Or does mm-hmm. it just like keep going? I don't know. Anyway, sorry, I think in the, mind, in the mind of football fans, that's definitely how it works. Fate isn't fate the essential it levels itself over the course of a season kind of thing. I think it would be the definition of footballing fate, wouldn't it? Also can't wait for Kai's reaction when Jakob Kibior scores a hat trick on Thursday night to keep that keep that keep that stat alive. We've talked a lot about goals. Nick, I'll come to you with this one. It's been massively overlooked, really, that Aaron Ramsdale made two huge saves in that game on Saturday. I know you spoke about the defence there, but just, just how key has he been? And and I think we can look more long-term at how surprised have you been since his arrival that he's taken on this this mantle of, of one of the best goalkeepers in the league, hasn't he? Yeah, he really has. I mean, there have been one, one or two errors I think from corners I mean am I thinking the Villa home game maybe and certainly the um, the United home game and each time you think okay your keeper's got to respond from that quickly because once the keeper gets into a run of two or three games making mistakes then the doubts start to grow um, but he's never really had a run of dodgy form has he and when you're not getting work very often in a game and when you're coming up with big saves like that it genuinely generally tells that you're on very sharp form. You're ready. You're alert, which is very, very necessary. And you're ready to win big games for your team. And yeah, that save from um, Watara, wasn't it? At uh, 1-0 was important. I mean, as it was, Arsenal came back from 2-0 down later. So we don't know whether it, it, it was game-changing, but it felt like it at the time. Made another save, didn't he, from um, from an angle after the first goal, was it? I yeah, so from, from Solanke, um, yeah. From, um, from, from Solanke, and that ball was snaking in the corner. Again, those were the two times that he was really worked in the game. You couldn't give him a chance with either of those goals. And and he stood up. And, and I think the sign of, again, touching wood from an Arsenal perspective, a title-winning goalkeeper, is that he is there on the couple of times a game that he is demanded to be. And I think, yeah, I'm just scrolling through the goals this season again there's only a couple that you can say he's been maybe directly at fault for is a bit harsh but where he has made an error and even then they've not ultimately been costly because the forwards are so good 
you mentioned touching wood. There was certainly plenty of touching wood in the 97th minute at, at the Emirates on Saturday, wasn't it? Um, but that might <laughs> that might not have been the case, Sam Dean, had VAR intervened at certain times during the game. It could have been an easier afternoon for Arsenal. Should it have been an easier afternoon for Arsenal? We had Dale from ESPN on a while ago talking about VAR. Were any of those decisions contentious? Did VAR get them all right? And most importantly, should we even be discussing it on the pod this morning? Yeah, I just don't care. Like, like that's like, I mean, there was a bit of Twitter, I don't know what it was, but Twitter tete teting with some people yesterday. Like, people were complaining about the, the lack of questions to Arteta about VAR decisions. I mean, without being a bit, I mean, this is, this is being a bit sort of uh, facetious and blunt, but what kind of, what kind of fan wins a game like that and thinks about VAR afterwards? Like, it's just like, you've got to enjoy those moments. Don't be worrying about VAR decisions. Also, like, I understand there are days, there have been days this season for Arsenal and in previous seasons for other clubs and, and other things going on where there are really bad refereeing calls against your team. Um, the Brentford one, obviously, obviously was horrific and ultimately cost a referee his job, which is kind of mad when you think about it. And the more I do think about it, the more mad that becomes. But none of the ones that Arsenal appealed for on Saturday struck me as completely clear and obvious errors. I mean, some of them might have been pens. Some of them might not have been. The point of VAR is to correct clear and obvious errors. And I don't think any of them were completely egregious. But fundamentally, who cares? Like Arsenal won in 97th minute with Reese Nelson scoring a left-footed banger at the edge of the box. Like, that is the takeaway from this game. Like that is, and also, like just quickly on the point of not asking Arteta about it afterwards, there seems to be this belief among some people that uh, journalists are not doing their jobs by not holding authorities to account by asking about these things. To be clear, we don't get to speak to Howard Webb after matches. We do not speak to the referees after matches. We speak to Mikel Arteta. All we can do is ask for his view on it. And frankly, I'm pretty certain that his view on this would have been, I don't care, we just won. So that's uh, that's all I have to say about that forever, I think. We'll just keep rehashing that same bit every time VAR comes up. I'll just clip you saying, I do not care. Mm. And you'll soon uh, lose most of your Twitter followers. <laughs> time now for Access All Arsenal where we take you further inside the Emirates Stadium than any other podcast can. Quite the claim, but I'm sticking to it. We answer your questions, and today we also hear from Thomas Partey. We spoke about the growing maturity among the Arsenal squad following that thrilling win over Bournemouth. I think now they are no younger players anymore. Uh, they have experience. They've been playing for a long time. They are matured, and I think uh, uh, it's time for them, you know, to be able to, you know, uh, achieve whatever they want to achieve. Uh, that's their dream, and I think uh, they are all ready to achieve this. And we have to go game by game and try to, you know, get to the final. Uh, questions to the floor next, coming from Twitter. Uh, Kaya, let's come to you with the first one, which is from Zainab, who wants to know. Are you worried about the home defensive record? Well, we touched on it already, the number of goals they've conceded, but they've conceded more at home, I believe, than on the road this season. It, is that an issue? It, we call the Emirates a fortress, I suppose, with the results they've got there, but that, those leaky goals are starting to cause a bit of a problem, aren't they? I guess so. Um, I have to be honest and say I don't quite know the disparity between the two, so <clears throat> pardon me, I don't know if it's a massive... Sorry, <clears throat> I've got a bit of a cold, so... 
Um, it's just getting my voice back from Saturday. Um, so, yeah, I don't know if there's a massive disparity between the home and the away goals off the top of my head, unfortunately, but I assume given the, you know, the base of the question, there, there must be a, a relatively big difference. Go on. I, I can tell you that 64% of their goals conceded this season have come at the Emirates Stadium. Okay, that, that's, that's quite big. Um, there's ways of looking at that as a negative. There's ways of looking at it as a positive as well in terms of how good they are on the road. And I do wonder when you go away, if maybe you sort of, you, you lock the back door, you double lock it in terms of just being that extra bit more cautious and maybe you don't leave yourself as open to the counter. Whereas at home, and we mentioned this earlier, Arsenal were very dominant over teams that come and play against them and it does leave them vulnerable to the counter-attack. And that's one of the risks that Mikel Arteta admits he's willing to take. So I'm trying to think back through goals that Arsenal have conceded at home and a lot of them do seem to have, have come in that way. But Arsenal are pretty good at defending in transition and uh, it's, it's hard to say if there's a, a consistent problem at home. Of course, you don't want to be conceding too many goals at home and if you're going to win a Premier League title, which Arsenal want to do, then your home form is essential and trying to stop conceding those kind of goals is, is going to be important. But... Um, I do think just the, the game state of the Emirates in the terms of the way Arsenal look to attack oppositions does leave them a little bit more vulnerable and maybe that's an explanation for the, the difference in the goals they've conceded home and away. Uh, not to be too much of a negative Nelly on a positive weekend, but uh, might I humbly suggest that when Arsenal travel to the Etihad and Anfield, the percentage of goals conceded at home and away may change a little bit. Oh, here he goes. Rogue, rogue VAR calls costing Arsenal the title. Uh, Nick, I'm going to come to you with this with a second question from Mohamed Chowdhury, who asks, does the Arsenal beat agree with Gary Neville saying we've used up too much emotional energy too early? Will the players be mentally drained for the running? Um, hi, Mohamed, and thanks for your question. Um, I think that is such a nebulous point. Um, I, 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 I think it's... I don't know. It's, it, like, I think that's a very easy thing for Gary Neville to say if he's if he's just trying to pour a bit of scorn or again cold water from a rival perspective. But I I think it can go the other way and really propel you and instill you with a kind of belief that whatever is happening in a game, you've got some sort of resource, even if it's Reese Nelson's swinger, that can get you out of it. Um. So look, you can definitely peak too early as a team you can have these emotional highs that never get reached again but I, I don't really see any justification that what happened on Saturday on an emotional level was not a good thing it was you know about to be probably quite a fundamental two points dropped in the title race it probably would have tilted the balance back to Man City if we're realistic even though Arsenal would have been three points ahead City has still got that home game coming up I think City would have become favourites for the title frankly but now we're looking at a five-point lead we're looking at an absolute Houdini act a marvellous moment I, I only see the positives emotionally and I've got to say I don't really see where Gary Neville's coming from on that others might disagree Gary Neville talking bollocks. You heard it first, Nick Ames. Also, he's talking about emotional energy too early. He was saying Manchester United were the better team yesterday and that they were going to win at Anfield and it was a typical Manchester United performance at Anfield and they went on to lose 7-0. Uh, Callum Cluse asked the final question and it's my favourite. No offence to the other guys. So, Sam, this one's for you. Simply asks, 
in terms of VAR, no, he didn't. He, he said, um, <laughs> "How did how did anyone write a match report after that?" Uh, well, uh, the first thing to say is, I think, what me and Nick discussed uh, almost immediately afterwards, which is, thank God that wasn't an evening kickoff, um, because for people, I mean, I'll be brief about this because I think uh, it's a bit naval gazy, but if if people listening don't understand how it works. Normally for night games at national newspapers, uh, we have to file a big chunk of our match report at half time. Uh, for some papers, a little bit more, about 70 minutes. And then uh, the intro and the end of it, literally at the final whistle. So you're writing as the game goes on and late drama, uh, you know, anything beyond the 80th minute is problematic, uh, let alone the 97th minute um so that would have been a pure disaster uh, and a source of incredible stress as it was the 3 p.m kickoff uh, helped considerably but yeah trying to capture it all afterwards and um, digest it and think of things to ask that aren't completely naff which uh, i personally failed on um was quite challenging but also very enjoyable um and i uh, lots of people including me in the Arsenal press box, do not support Arsenal and have no real sort of skin in the game in terms of whether Arsenal win the title or not. But I, when that goal went in, I was on my feet and I looked around and caught eyes with quite a few of my colleagues who are very much not Arsenal fans. And some of the faces and some of the sort of, uh, yeah, looks of just pure like shock and delirium were really quite something to behold and that was a that was a beautiful footballing moment whether you like Arsenal or not I think and uh, it was albeit that's a naff thing to say it was uh, it was very memorable and very enjoyable and yes if it made the match report a bit worse or whatever then that's life but I actually think those kind of games lend themselves to the best match reports and the coverage in the papers the next day was really really good as someone who works for a news agency and has to file a match report the second the final whistle goes, I can say I met that goal with a feeling of moribund, as Alan Partridge would have once said. So, yeah, I might not have been one of those jumping around the press box. But, yeah, it's one of those in a few years when you're with, with other journalists having a beer somewhere, you talk about being there that day. I always remember the same with the uh, the miracle of Chris Stamble, as it were, when, when Dwight Gale scored that goal against Liverpool a few years ago. And, yeah, that still comes up in conversation now. Lisbon guys, we're all making a trip as the snow and the ice returns to the UK, so we can't complain at all. But does the Europa League return at a bit of a bad time for, for Arsenal and Arteta, do you think, Nick? Well, I heard a few people making this argument on um, on Saturday, and obviously the squad is a bit depleted, certainly in attacking areas at the moment, so the scope for rejigging things is slim. But I I think they'll welcome it. There are still players who need minutes, frankly, players who are used to getting minutes, like Tierney, like Tommy Yasu. There's a, a very good Polish defender, at least we, we think he's very good, who, who's barely had a kick yet. So we need to, need to hopefully see how he is. Players like like Rob Holding will be looking to step in. In in midfield, there's a little bit of scope to change it around. Shaka had a rest. He, he could come back in. 
Hill, Abiyaro, Reese Nelson can get a few more minutes. Maybe Smith Rowe, hopefully, as well, who they really need to start building up, I think, if he's going to have an impact on the season or even the future as Arsenal, I think we have to say. Um, so I think there is enough rejigging that can be done. There are enough, enough squad members who I think you um, you need to keep sharp because you never know what's going to have um, going to happen during a season. We didn't we didn't know that the second choice attacking substitute, Reese Nelson, um, was going to be required to come in and be razor sharp with a goal and an assist on Saturday that might turn the season. You need your deputy players to be at it, and that normally means I mean the the level of training at Colney is unbelievably high. It's almost match like. <laughs> but you still need them to be sharp and at it and ready to step in in a competitive situation. If Sinchenko is lost for a month, you need Kieran Tierney, an outstanding player who could walk into almost any Premier League team to be ready to play at a high level. So I think it's actually quite an important game on Thursday night for a few of these lads who haven't had much of a look in because the team's been in such good form to play themselves into a bit of form personally. I also think we're at the business end or approaching it of a major European competition. We don't know that Arsenal are, um, are going to win the league. They've got a great track at this Europa League when you look at who's left. I'm, I'm not advocating that Arteta goes full whack in, in every game. I think he should sort of 66% tweak the squad, if you like. But I think it comes at, um, at a decent time when momentum is high. I think every game should be enjoyed at the moment and winning breeds winning. So I'm definitely not one who's down on it. But then again, I do love Lisbon. It's a great city. (laughs) Nick has already booked dinner for us all in Lisbon, I can confirm. Um, You mentioned winning breeds winning there. And obviously they lost at Manchester City in the FA Cup. And that directly or indirectly led to that little little blip in the road. But Kaya, he has to, and and I say he is in Mikel Arteta, he has to have some compromise in that team. He can't go 100% that team every week and expect it to, to win the Europa League and Premier League, can he really? No, and I think he'll be forced into some rotation as well by the injury situation. So up front, you'd imagine that obviously Leandro Trossard, we don't know the full extent of his injury, but it didn't look good. And I don't think they'll risk Eddie Nketiah if he's not fully fit and they probably won't rush Gabriel Jesus back. So the amount of players they have in those forward areas suddenly starts to look quite slim. So that that means that needs a little bit of uh, rejigging and you would assume that maybe Granit Jack would come back into the team or maybe Jorginho would play and <clears throat> players like that who, yeah, like Nick was saying, need to be engaged still. I think if you're not getting minutes, it's very hard to stay mentally switched on. And watching Kieran Tierney in the celebrations yesterday, him wearing a full snood and a massive puffer jacket, you start to think there must be something wrong with him if if he's needing that. <clears throat> Sorry, and not a, uh, a T-shirt and shorts like he usually does. So... Yeah, he's in need of game time. Um, but also, you see, it's tough for players to come in out of the cold. You look at Tommy Asu yesterday and on Saturday, sorry, and he didn't have the best of games and he's not played for a little while. And of those backup players, he's one of them who is a bit, I suppose, closer to the first team setup. Even he's finding it difficult for this in and out role. So the Europa League is is important for Arsenal to to get those players going, to to give a debut to that great Polish sense back Nick was talking about, but also to to give minutes to the players who are going to be massively important. And morale is going to be huge in those games where Arsenal are probably going to have lows between now and the end of the season. And morale around the squad is going to be massive. And if there's players who are already feeling pretty down about the fact that they're not involved, then that's going to be difficult to sustain. So players like even Rob Holding, Tomiyasu, Kieran Tierney, um, players like that who are great guys around the dressing room, they need to be given a chance to 
to stay engaged otherwise you risk losing them and that in many ways is is a problem because then you sort of one bad apple starts to infect the whole bunch and you know you want to try and keep the mood as positive as possible and I think yeah those guys also probably deserve minutes and I think Arteta would admit that because as Nick said the training level is so high the reason it's so high is because those guys who know more than likely they're not going to play on Saturday or Sunday are still sustaining that level very high level so yeah I think they deserve some minutes and I think Arteta will will be forced to change a little bit. Can I just quickly defend Kieran Tierney's honour as a rugged Scotsman? Now, I think, I think the guy in the snood and the big jacket was James Hilson, the goalkeeper. I've, I've seen this theory as well, and it, it's not. James Hilson is slightly behind him, celebrating. Wow. So, wow. I'm Kieran Tierney's honour in the mud. In the mud, as the yeah. kids would say. I Need didn't come wow. up expecting to sort of have a Kieran Tierney character assassination, but that's, that's where the pod's taken me. Yeah. Well, what you Mark, need there, that, make sure you edit that one out, Mark, right? What you need there, Sam, is a bit of VAR to check that out. Time to end as ever with Gestaguna. Before we do, guys, I think it's worth noting Arsenal's success in the Conti Cup final on Sunday. Hopefully later this week we'll have a special dedicate to that. I don't want you to, listeners to think we've just glossed over that with the euphoria of Reese Nelson's goal and Sam's pop at VAR. Um, guess the Gunnar, hopefully we won't need it here. Uh, Nick, Kaya and Sam will be given clues to an Arsenal player, past or present. Uh, after each clue, they'll get a chance to answer by waving their hands at me on the miracle of a Zoom call. And then we'll see who can guess the Gunnar. I won major honours in Portugal, Italy and Spain, but not in England, despite spending time with two Premier League clubs. Would anyone like a guess? Nick, Nick looked like he's about to pluck it out of thin air or out of his glass of water from earlier. I made 34 appearances for Arsenal, scoring twice. Kaya? Sebastian Squalacci? No. Good guess. I like it. I have a bronze World Cup medal. Ooh. I played 69 times for my country, scoring six goals. Bronze World Cup medal. Well, well, well. Now we are talking. That's a great, that's a good clue. Talking of good clues, this might be the best clue we've ever seen in this game. I left Arsenal in the mid-90s, but returned to England in 1999 when, having expressed a desire to visit outer space, my new club added a clause in my contract forbidding me not to do so. And with Guest Laguna, as always, the truth is out there. <laughs> wow. My last my last game for Arsenal was in a major cup final. So he left in what year? I 
haven't said that. Mid 90s, you got. Mid 90s. I played for a team that knocked Arsenal out of the European Cup in 1991. Sam, I'm going to make a guess. Go on, it's then, not, mate. It's not Limpar, is it? It's not. Nice guess, though. I'll let you have that. It was a good guess. That File that I'm under sure good guesses. Is. I'm not sure it is, really. I can't think of the clubs he played for. My teammates included João Pinto, Paul Dickoff, and Julio Arca. I was also a teammate of Steve Bold at both of my English clubs. I'm convinced this geezer is Swedish. In 1999, I won the Gold Bollen, the award for the best player in Sweden. <laughs> Who else is Swedish? Nick's been agonising over this the whole way through so far and it's been very enjoyable I've enjoyed it Nick any ideas it's uh, no <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's been carry uh, on <laughs> so he's a Swedish player who scored two goals for Arsenal in 34 appearances and left them in the mid 90s and then came back to England a few years later exactly that you just need some you just missed some key details there, Sam, like his name. <laughs> right, let, let's let's uh, water down some of those clues. I joined Arsenal in 1994 for £1.8 million. Pounds. I stayed at Arsenal for just one season before being sold to Fiorentina for two and a half million pounds. Honestly, I don't even, I, this is embarrassing. It's slightly before my era, this really. Is, this, I, I, like, I should really know this and I don't. I then left right. to play under Claudio Ranieri at Valencia before joining Sunderland in 1999 for a club record 3.75 million pounds. I mean, it's too early to be Seb Larsson, that's the thing. It was with Sunderland where he had the space clause in, inserted into his contract. That stated if he, if he visited space, his contract would be completely invalid. <laughs> I think all of our contracts should be completely invalid now, but because you know, we can't guess this. I think this is an era where Charles Watts will have got this quite early on, so I'm enjoying that I'm now on Wikipedia trying to make up more clues. Uh, right, let's have a look. Charles Here's Watts would have, would have met this guy multiple <laughs> times as a mascot at Arsenal. <laughs> he played in... I played, sorry, just the, the whole mask of the quiz falling there. I played in the 1995 Cup Winners' Cup final, and it was my last yeah. game. my last game for the club. That, that was the one, yeah, that was a... Uh... Yeah, I know, I'm struggling here, mate. <laughs> we, we knew that one already, but... <laughs> uh, what else is what this... What position was it? Mid I was a midfielder. Oh, yes, I think Please. I might have it. Please, Nick. Jonas Tern. No! <laughs> no? <laughs> <laughs> oh, what else has he done in his life? Come on. 
What does his name rhyme with? Uh, my now. Oh, hold on, I think this might be a good clue, actually. I know he never played for Arsenal. Young as it, bloody hell. My, my name is shared with a famous manufacturer of sauce mix packets. This is embarrassing. I have an alliterative. Is that right? Alliterative? Basically, my first initial is the same as my second initial. You mean initially your first name is the same as the first letter of your surname? Exactly that. Ty like Kynak, Kynak, for example. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's not helping at all. Guys, I think I'm going to call this as the first ever unsuccessful round of Guestaguna. I think we might have made history. This is crazy. And do you know what I might even do? I might not even reveal the answer now. I might leave it for a listener oh, to, uh, to, to claim the crown. Don't worry, guy. I'll tell you off, off, off air. But um, let's end Guess the Guna. I'm, I'm slightly concerned that our credibility as football journalists is completely in the gutter. <laughs> Mine has been for years. Every time I come on, I feel like I get a player from before I was born, and that feels like a massive disadvantage. Mm. <laughs> uh, yeah, well done, lads. Um, listen, hopefully Arsenal will perform better than these three in Lisbon. Uh, we're hoping to bring you a reaction pod almost immediately after the game when we finish the press conference and go for a cheeky beer. But until then, stay safe, everyone.